everybody and welcome to the South Summit podcast. South Summit is a platform that accelerates the global entrepreneurial community. And here's a space where we get to go deep with some of the thought leaders from that industry discussing the trends and the technology that are shaping our world today. I'm Liz Fleming and I'll be guiding you through some of these conversations. Very excited for you to join us. Today we are with Jared Yarnell Shane, the Director of Innovation at the Biomimicry Institute, where we explore getting technological and innovation inspiration from nature itself, where we can produce disruptive, scalable products in a sustainable way, respecting the genius of nature. In this conversation, myself and Jared explore everything from extracting white pigment from beetles to the wisdom of owls. We hope you enjoy. So, Jared, so pleased to have you here. So delighted to finally meet you in the flesh. And I'm going to ask you a lot about you and what you're doing and how you've ended up where you are and, you know, the why, the how, and really deep dive as much as we can into what you're doing it and how you're doing it. But first, I just want to give you a bit of our perspective in terms of why you're here. So, South Summit has been going through, I suppose, a period of reflection over the last couple of years, I think, as many people have, um, and really trying to get a feel on, you know, what are the macro trends out there, what's happening, what is most relevant to the world of tech and entrepreneurship right now, and really about trying to navigate the course in, like, we have access to this incredibly talented and well-resourced community of founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, creatives, investors, corporates. You know, we kind of represent the whole ecosystem, which is really exciting, and we take huge responsibility in terms of like how can we help navigate this course and in that reflection thinking about different themes and concepts we want to touch throughout our different events and our different communities we were looking at clearly you know the climate crisis right so it's blatantly obvious and we deeply believe that if entrepreneurs are actually not at the core there's no way we're going to get there like not even close so European Union is committed to a 55% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, which is like yesterday. So we're very, you know, keen on creating a sense of urgency and trying to figure that out. And when we were looking at, you know, how can we really, really be part of the solution and not part of the problem? How do we get that right? Because I think entrepreneurship and innovation, we're really good at innovation. We're really good at disruption and we're really good at scale which is what's needed right now. But sometimes it can be kind of misdirected or thwarted or corrupted or trying to go through, grow too fast or et cetera, et cetera, kind of can, you know, get sidetracked along the way. And this is where we came across people like you. And we thought, oh my goodness, there's something out there called nature tech. I mean, we talk about ecosystem all the time and we forget that the word ecosystem is coming from nature. And now this trend of people actually diving into, well, how are those systems working so efficiently? And what can we learn from them? This blew our mind. So welcome. Thank you. What an incredible introduction. (laughs) This is why you're here. Um, So Jared, what the hell is biomimicry? What yeah. is the institute? How did you get there? 
go. Tell us, tell us about what you're doing. Amazing, and I absolutely love that. Like thinking about the ecosystem that we're in right now, but that we think of the people that are here, not the literal ecosystem. Like what biome are we in in nature all around us? And what would it look like if we took some time to pause and reflect on that and learn from that? I love that. Um, so yeah, the Biomimicry Institute exists to help people learn from nature. And I like to break biomimicry down into its parts. We have bio, which means life, mimesis, which means to mimic. So how do we mimic life? How do we emulate, copy life, what already exists all around us? So, so that's fundamentally what we do. How can we learn from nature? How can we learn from life to create solutions to the big problems that we created? I have so many examples I'm excited to share with you, but um, my specific role at the Institute is I'm the Director of Innovation, and I've been working with these nature-inspired, nature-informed startups and startup founders for about the past eight years. So I've seen people go from, I have a great idea, pre-venture, to raise their Series A and beyond and, and start to scale. These really hard companies, these really hard uh, technologies and really, really hard and entrenched industries and I think there's a lot to learn from those stories and also a lot of work that needs to be done to encourage more um, startups and founders on this path. Absolutely, and, and well done for the work you've done to date, which is so inspiring. But tell us all about it. Dive into a use case. I mean, so what, what are we talking about? And now we get the kind of theoretical idea of what biomimicry is, but can you give us an example, some portfolio companies, startups you're working with, you know, real-life examples of what this means? Yeah, I'd love to share one. Um, and I'll, I'll share an example of, of a company that just raised a, a seed round. Um, they're based in Switzerland, and it's a spin-out from the University of Cambridge. Um, they were studying these white scarab beetles. Um, there's these brilliant white beetles, and they were asking themselves, well, how does it get this white color? Because we look around, and the table we're sitting at is white. Some of these walls are white. Um, that white that humans make is often caused by titanium. It's, it's a, a pigment called titanium dioxide that is really efficient at scattering light to make white light. Well, this company is like, well, this beetle does it. This beetle doesn't use titanium. Most, most animals don't need titanium. So how is that doing that? And, and by studying these kind of micro scale, nanoscale structures, they were able to figure out a way to replicate that and mimic that using cellulose. So they're now bringing to market a cellulose white pigment, a cellulose-based white pigment that is more effective than titanium dioxide. To top that off, the EU, if we just talked about some of the, the goals and regulation, um, the EU just passed a regulation that titanium dioxide is a known carcinogen. So it's being phased out of food products and pharmaceutical products. So the, the EU is looking for um, replacements to this pigment and the, the cellulose one is coming along at just the right time. I think that's a tremendous example of um, looking to solve a really big extractive problem. Titanium dioxide comes from titanium mines. It's a $12 billion industry. And how can we learn from nature in a really fundamental and succinct way to, to create a solution um, to address that? Wow, amazing. No, that's a fascinating solution. And um, I love that it's so, it's so visual. It's quite easy to understand when you kind of put it into layman's terms. You know, we can all comprehend that, I guess, which is amazing. Um, just to do a double click there their inspiration directly from nature, right, which is incredible. Is their solution 
like, is there a bio element to that or is it purely synthetic replicating what they were able, the process they were able to identify or is it merged with that process or is there a bio element to that specific solution or maybe other ones in the portfolio? Yeah, so that specific solution is really just creating um, kind of a, a analog to that that inspiration organism. But there are so many examples of companies that also are working with nature and have a bio-based solution as well. Um, so can I share another please, example? Please, please, oh. please. Um, so there's a, a fantastic company called MycoCycle based in Chicago. And what they do is they work with and learn from mushrooms and mycelium to break down construction waste. So um, construction waste, I forget the exact number, but it's one of the biggest uh, causes of uh, landfill waste of municipal waste is all this all these shingles and drywall and just things that you don't even think about but it's going into landfills and they thought well in nature one organism's waste is another organism's food what if we could learn from that and actually work with those decomposers like mushroom and fungi to convert those that waste into usable products so they recently um, released a report with meta where they were doing a um, a trial around how can we break down their drywall waste from new data centers. And that process of breaking it down actually created a new uh, material that they can then use for insulation or other, uh, other construction products down the line. So that, that's a great example of a circular system working with nature and learning from nature all at the same time. Wow, nice. So they're probably getting rid of an expense to actually, you know, get rid of that waste. No one in the meantime actually making a byproduct out of that as well. Exactly. That's awesome. That's pretty exciting. Um, oh, so exciting. I, that could go on for on and on and on and on. But I guess the amount of examples out there, which is what's inspiring about it and what's um, exciting in terms of business opportunities, right? So I'd love to kind of um, go on that tangent for a minute, let's say, in terms of, I know you guys are there supporting, investing in these companies, but how... What is the what does the financial roadmap look for look like for these companies? Because they sound pretty deep tech. It sounds like there's a lot of, you know, R and D and IP going on there. So what does that financing structure look like typically? Is it more challenging for these companies? Are the investors getting it? Uh, yes, yes, and um, so uh, I think what we're seeing is the majority of the companies that are successful in this space are university spinouts. Not not all, but the majority. So what that means is they typically already have five plus years of research and development incubated within a university. In the US, they receive SBIR grants. Here it might be Horizon grants. Um, and so, so we'll start there. It typically takes millions of dollars and, and years of time to develop a technology to the point where you might be able to spin that out. Then once they spin it out, this is typically where the, the difficult part happens. So typically there's plenty of funding in that early stage research and development for these deep tech, deep tech startups, there's this huge gap, and it's often known as the first valley of death for deep tech startups, to get this, this funding needed to prove that this can work at scale. Once it's proven that it can work at scale, I don't wanna say it's smooth sailing, but it's much, much easier. So, so that's where our program comes in, is we try to lower that um, valley or shorten that valley so that it uh, takes less time and we simply have less kind of startup failures between that spin out and, and scaling. 
And how are you guys doing that? Are you actually helping on kind of, are they ready for commercial development and kind of prototyping or kind of some market validation at that point or is it something else? Yeah, so most of the companies we work with are at the stage where they're, they're looking for pilots. And I think that's where, for, for if you're a big company listening in, uh, many of these deep tech companies, they're not going to be ready to plug into your supply chain right now. So the most successful companies are working with them on a pilot level. And that might be a $10,000 or $100,000 pilot. But what that's doing is it's helping um, the internal company to validate a new technology and to see get some eyes on a new technology. But it's critical for the startup to see how do we go from maybe a kilogram scale in the lab to tens of tons uh, that would be needed to, to bring to market. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest, uh, one of the most needed um, areas of, of opportunity. I think the other area of opportunity and one that we see and work with quite closely is for patient capital. Um, Boston Consulting Report put out a, or Boston Consulting Group put out a report a few years ago saying that nature co-design is going to be a $30 trillion industry with trillion with a T. So I think investors are starting to catch on that there's huge market returns. You're just going to have to wait maybe 10 years, maybe 12 years, as opposed to the seven years that they're typically comfortable with. So I think that's a, a fundamental mindset shift that's starting to take place as well. Mm. On, on that line, I suppose you're talking there about a bit of innovation on the VC side, which is something you don't see a lot of. <laughs> but without dissing venture capitalists, are you seeing opportunities there directly with LPs? Yeah. So we have an interesting model. Our, our model is actually as a prize, and um, we're looking to pivot into a recoverable grant model to try to bring more patient, founder-friendly capital to market. Um, and we're seeing quite a lot of support from family offices and foundations on that side. So I think as family offices become more sophisticated and are becoming LPs and have a commitment to solving some of these climate and environmental challenges, I think that will have a downstream effect. This is something that we're that we're experiencing at South Summit. Actually, we've launched um, an initiative called the LP Forum, where we're just trying to get them better integrated and more visible within the ecosystem. And there's more an appetite as well from them to do that, you know. And as you said, they're getting more sophisticated, and they seem to be have more of an urgency around impact issues and obviously climate included. So, and and by, and by nature, are a bit more patient on their capital that way. So that could be a, a really interesting opportunity. We're glad to see that happening as well on this side. Um, so you said that a lot of the early stage financing mechanisms, it needs to be maybe grant-based or donation-based or kind of greenfield fund or maybe a bit more patience and maybe a different type of, to your typical capital structure design early on, I guess. Um, do you see though, are we a little bit better with that in Europe or are you seeing any examples of where ecosystems are doing that better than others? That is a great question. And I think, I, I don't know geography specific. Most of what we see is in the US. Um, but I, I do see it industry specific, and I think an industry that that's really interesting to watch is the pharmaceutical industry, because they've really pioneered the way and how do we bring life science companies to market. And there's kind of a, a path now, like you have to get certification. Once you get certification, you have to do this. So I think pharmaceuticals have kind of laid out a path. What's interesting is if you look at trends, typically agriculture lags behind that by about 10 years. So now we're seeing a whole lot of new agriculture solutions that are based on RNAi or peptides, other things like that, that, that started in the pharma market. And I would love to see, and I think what we're starting to see is that trend go into industrial biotech. 
So I think as this market matures, there will be a clearer path and it will be less, less risky for investors. Um, and I, I would point to those industries as ones yeah, to look to. Yeah, they're nice comparables. Not only somebody, they, you know, investors can have a reference to look at and timelines and returns to look at because, I mean, that's critical there. Did you say, is that 30 trillion? 30 market? trillion, yes. Wow, yeah. that's insane. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, with that kind of headline, you're going to get a lot of funds looking at yeah. this space, which is exactly what we want, uh, what we want I guess, to scale up these solutions. Um, and it's it seems actually, so it seems so new, but so vast, right? When you start kind of scratching below the surface there in terms of what might be possible and different like lines you could take and different type of materials you could really start studying and use cases in industries and applications, wow, right? It's kind of spirals out. Are you already starting to see some level of verticalization in the space, like things directly related to soil or things directly related to like fungi that you looked at earlier or, you know, that kind of level of specialization or, or no? That is a great question. Um, certainly are starting to see some some areas that are are popping up time and time again. And I, I think one of the interesting things that we're seeing in this this field is that they're often platform technologies. So what I mean by that is it's typically not specific to an industry. So a, that white pigment, for example, um, can play in the pharmaceutical sector because pharmaceuticals use white pigments. It can play in the food sector because we, we pigment our, our foods. It can also play in the automotive or kind of housing construction sector because we paint our cars and our houses. So I think, I think often what we see is that there are platform technologies that play across industries. Mm. And then there are some areas of technology that we're starting to see emerge. And I think one is advanced materials. So we're getting better at functionalizing uh, surfaces. Nature is the master at functionalizing surfaces. Um, quick segue. Um, yeah, what's that? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you think about a lotus leaf, this is a kind of a pretty famous example. Lotus leaves are these beautiful big leaves that emerge from the mud, but there's never mud stuck to them. So there's something. Wow, yeah, that's true. right. They're right. so picture They're perfect. <laughs> so if you think about it, what, what's causing that is um, there's some nanoscale structures. They're kind of like little pillars on a nanoscale that repel water. They, the water just simply can't stick to it. So water will come, a drop will hit, take the dirt away. Super simple. Um, and we're just starting to be able to do that now with our human technologies. So how do we create nanoscale surfaces on things like toilets or airplanes? My children. Or your children, exactly. <laughs> that would be an interesting use case. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Excellent. Um, thanks for that. Another super visual example. That's, I'm so excited about the space. You know, I think it can really capture people's imaginations, but then with the, the deepest definition of deep tech involved, you know, so very, very exciting. Um, as you know, we have a little um, surprise in our podcast segment, and I want to throw us over to Jaime, our producer from Cloud District, who's going to throw me maybe a little sideball. I actually have no idea what he's going to ask you, but he's going to ask you something, and Jared, you got to go for it. Ready? Thank you, Liz and Jared. Thank you for being here with us. I have two questions, actually. One is a curveball, and the other one is an easy one. So the, the easy one is, uh, you mentioned we were prepping the podcast before, a project in Vigo in Spain. So it'd be great if you can like tell us a little about what you are doing in, in Spain, in our country. Yeah, happy to. Um, so there's a company we supported called Econcrete that's based out of Israel, and they create living port and marine infrastructure. So if you think about the last time you went to the ocean, you probably saw all this concrete breakwater. 
concrete piers, concrete walls, and they were probably just dead. It was probably just gray concrete. But if you look and, and there's some like rocky areas or some cliffs, what you probably would have seen is life living there. Like there's life that lives in tadpoles, there's mussels that cling to the rocks. Um, so this, this, the founders of this company were asking the question, well, why is that happening? Why is concrete killing organisms, um, whereas in nature they're supported? And they developed a solution that, that kind of has three different tiers. It's a different concrete admix. There's microsurfaces and macrosurfaces that mimic the natural ecosystems. And their, their marine infrastructure actually promotes life. So what they're doing in Vigo is they're leading the living ports challenge there. And they're turning that Vigo port into a living port. Um, and that has so many benefits. Not only does it promote biodiversity and serve as a carbon sink, but it also strengthens over time. So there's their value proposition. Typically, a, I think a marine infrastructure project has to be serviced every 10 or 20 years. But because they attract life, something happens called biocalcification, and they get harder over time, meaning that theoretically, they haven't been around long enough, but theoretically, um, you wouldn't ever have to perform maintenance because wow. it's turning into a living reef right nice. in front of us. Nice. Um, so really interesting, they're, they're scaling up across the world, but their big project is in Vigo wow, here. I'm so glad yeah. to, Vigo's beautiful. You have to get up there if I you haven't have been not there. Been yet. It's yeah. stunning. And the wines around there, wow. Second question. This is the easy one, I think. Actually, both of them were easy. Jared, how does nature inspire you in your everyday life? Good one. I love that question. Like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, I grew up at a summer camp. So in the US, summer camps are a really big thing. I grew up on about a thousand acres of, kind of pristine forest wilderness. I got to see a beaver dam up a stream, turn that into a lake, and then see that go back into a wetland. And it was, that was what I did for fun. Like I didn't really have TV. I went out and watched beavers. Um, and I think uh, for me, what inspires me is to, to go out and slow down, I think. Um, I, as an entrepreneur myself, we're so used to um, kind of the hustle grind mindset, which is important, we need to do. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think that what we're seeing is if you take a moment for yourself to reflect, slow down, reconnect to nature, you're actually gonna get much farther. It's kind of you take one step back to go two steps forward. And that's a big part of the programs we run. It's a big part of what I try to bring to the work I do. That's super awesome. I'm curious that you mentioned that because um, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to launch a question for our next podcast guest, who is Ruchika Sikri, a founder and general partner at Wisdom Ventures out of Silicon Valley, who are backing um, conscious entrepreneurs building solutions that can better our mind, body and soul so closely connected to what you were talking about there and they really value the you know the opportunity to take time out and to kind of be thoughtful about you know building what you're building i guess you know if you're not doing that on a personal level it's pretty hard to do at a company that's scaling up fast you know and so there's your chance what would you like to ask ruchika ruchika i hope this isn't too hard of a question but i would love to know how might we learn from some of the animals that we say are wise in nature how might we learn from the owls and the elephants to inform founder mental health, but also inform investment strategies moving forward? Awesome. Nice. We'll have to wait and see what she says. Jared, thanks a million. It's been amazing taking this time to just go a little bit deeper with you. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Liz. It's been great. Happy to be here. 
What a fascinating conversation there with Jared. It's incredible to see that trend within the biomimicry space. Such an enormous opportunity for venture capital to look at this in more depth and really see the scalability and innovation available to us right in front of us looking deeper at nature. That's it for this episode of the South Summit podcast. Stay tuned and follow us on social media to keep an eye on what we are up to. And here we will have further episodes coming soon where you can go deep with some of the world's leading innovators and entrepreneurs working on some of the most exciting market trends today.